I was doing the same kind of very desperate job search. I need to do this for my mental and physical well-being. The stress that can't, comes from being somewhere that you don't want to be, it was really, really bad. Um, you know, that sent me to the emergency room and turned out I had high blood pressure and I ended up having to be on medication, which, you know, all new, you know, I hadn't hit 50 yet. And, and so I thought, this is not me, this is not my life, but it was. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I am your host, and I'm joined again today by Robin. Hi, Robin. Hey, Megan. How are you? Good. So, you know, the first time didn't scare you away. You're like, I'll come back again for another podcast. So welcome. I'm so glad. <laughs> Definitely um, interesting. Yes. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be seeing your, your face uh, on more to come. Um, we'll see. I'll keep you in suspense. <laughs> no promises here. Well, okay. today we're, we're joined by Helen Yoon. Helen was on the podcast uh, a while ago, I think almost like a year ago. And she, you know, has since trans, she was at uh, assistant general counsel at one company and transition to a, a new position at another company. Um, and I just love talking to her so much. We talked so much last time we talked so much about, you know, the kind of the struggles that, you know, we as women and lawyers and professionals go through, um, you know, with the tug of war between home and work and trying to be the best at all the things and kind of, you know, n- not failing at all of them, but it, it, you can't be the best at everything. Um, and we had such a great conversation that time. And then when I saw that she transitioned to this new position, I was like, you know what, why don't you come back on and let's, let's go back into that conversation and talk about where you are. So with that, let's bring her in. Good afternoon, Helen. Welcome to the Defense of Arrest again. How are you today? Hi, thanks for having me. we um, doing great. Well, awesome. We were just chatting before we started recording about, I was complimenting you on your beautiful yellow door behind you, which I'm just like, I'm really loving the yellow and blue white contrast. And then like that splash of pink, I think it just looks, I'm a big fan, big fan of your interior design choices. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I think this will dovetail into some of um, what we're going to talk about later, but this is my home office. I work hybrid. I work from home most of the time. Then I will go into the office. But um, I, when I moved into my new role, I wanted to have a fresh start and fresh home office. And, um, you know, I wanted something bright and happy. And so mm-hmm. these are the two colors that I picked. Um, and everybody loves my yellow door. So that makes me happy. It's bright, you know, so. I actually, this is totally like we're veering off away, taking a hard left right now, but (laughs) out of curiosity, because we just put in black doors in our house. Did you have that manufacturer like painted at the manufacturer or did you do it yourself? Oh, I, my husband and I did my office just ourselves. So if you look real close, you can kind of see, because it was not a white door, it was, you know, wood uh, mm-hmm. flavor. And um, so it's it's not perfect, but it'll do. So, yeah. Hey, from my vantage point, it looks pretty perfect. So. You can't tell I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Well, Helen, for, for our listeners out there, you, you, you've been on the podcast before, but I, I want to uh, talk about your background a little bit in case, you know, our listeners out there didn't catch your, your prior uh, time with us, you know, and just your background is really, really interesting because you kind of, I mean, you took the course that you, you know, well, first of all, how, I know we talked about this previously, but, you know, what brought you to law school? Like, was it something that, you know, you had a plan to do or you, like a lot of us just kind of ended up there because you had no idea what to do with your life? Well, you know, kind of some of that. Um, (laughs) I think I was very interested in, you know, becoming a lawyer when I was young in high school. Um, And then somewhere along the way, right before college started, someone had convinced me how wonderful it is 
to be an accountant. And um, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy math. You know, um, maybe that's why I eventually did become a lawyer. But um, so I started college in the business school. I was miserable. I hated it. Um, and so I went into the liberal arts school. Anyway, after college, I had two routes I was looking to go into, which was academic or academia um, and trying to get my doctorate in history and, you know, teaching. Um, and that just seemed like a really long time. <laughs> it was like a really long struggle. <laughs> and um, I really needed to be in a career making money right away. So um, I thought, you know, I uh, ended up talking to a friend of my father's who was an attorney. And he said, I thought you wanted to be a lawyer when you were a kid. And I said, well, I did. And he said, well, you still can. And so um, I thought, okay, well, three years, I can do three years. Um, and that's how I ended up in law. Um, and I, I remembered that I, that's something that I really always wanted to do, but I kind of forgot about along the way. Yeah. I, but, you know, I, I haven't had a traditional kind of career. Um, I don't, I don't remember if we talked about it last time, but you know, I, I didn't go into private practice and then, you know, kind of move into in-house. Um, I kind of went straight into in-house, um, which it wasn't that common back in the day. Um, so a little bit non-traditional route for me. And, and how was it that you were able to go in-house right out of law school? Because that is not common I think partly because you come out of law school and you don't really know how to yeah. be a lawyer like you don't yeah. really know how to do it yet yeah. <laughs> don't teach exactly. you that in law school <laughs> well so I had a little speed bump along the way so right after law school I um, had a fellowship to do health law policy at the state senate um, and, you know, I thought I'm going to do health law and that's what I want to do, help write legislation and all that stuff. And um, I started the program and about three months into the program, I realized that the program was not mature enough at this point. I, I you know, like I just finished law school. I just had taken the bar and I was ready to like do really substantive work and, you know, be in the Senate and go to committee meetings and all these things and it just wasn't happening and I felt like I really was losing a lot of valuable time um, kind of sitting around and so I decided I need to leave this program if it's not going to be what was promised and that's what I ended up doing and I um, so that was health law and I moved back home to Houston and this was at the height of Enron um, if you all remember Enron. So it was, you know, I, I live in Houston, it's energy, it's all big energy, no, 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 no. And so I decided to start looking in that industry. Um, and I, I think I dodged the bullet. It, yeah, I know I dodged the bullet. Um, because I was trying to get an, um, a, an interview there, not knowing anything, right? Like, whatever. So of course I didn't get an interview, great. And um, maybe a year after that is when all the stuff happened. So thank goodness. But um, I just, I think I got lucky because I, I had a friend from law school whose husband was working in electric energy at the time. And the GC of the company, he, you know, had had a very junior lawyer working for him before me. And she had left, she'd moved on. And so he was looking for another junior lawyer. And at that time, you know, he was taking a big risk because I literally knew nothing. Um, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was a great experience for me because he allowed me to really explore and try to learn a lot of things on my own and um, kind of at my pace. So you know, it was really nice. And then he would swoop in and we kind of, you know, 
look over the work and all that stuff. But a lot of it was self-driven. Um, you know, he would say, hey, take this contract or, hey, look into this regulation and then let me go. Um, and, and so that's how I started in my in-house career or my you know, entire legal career. Yeah. And, you know, do you still keep in touch or, or is that um, person that you were for, are they still around? Yes, we're friends. I mean, we've kept yeah. in touch all these years. Um, I was at that company for close to five years um, and we've kept in touch. So, you know, over 20 years. That, that's great. I love hearing that sort of thing because you did take like a not not a not traditional path but not a typical path just because most people straight out of law school don't have that opportunity to go in-house and yeah. they especially don't have someone who's willing to kind of mentor them yeah. and like give them the space to learn um yeah. and that's certainly not how it really works at law firms at least that was not my yeah. experience like you, you you gotta do it and like then you then you have to quickly learn how to be efficient <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of, it's a nice that you had that ability to kind of take your time and dig in and, you know, really be able to understand the industry that you were working in and like how to do your job. Yeah, it was so invaluable. I mean, I was not making anywhere near what my, my friends from law school, you know, that went big law were making, but that was okay with me. Um, I mean, even in law school, I was looking for more non-traditional routes, and that's kind of why I veered towards the, the policy and, and all of that. Um, but I got to learn a lot of things about not just being a lawyer in this industry, but the industry just like, so I worked for an electric company. So I got to go ride in the trucks with the guys that work on the poles and learn about you know how it works and just just from the ground up and I don't think a lot of um, folks get that that early on in their career so um, I mean anytime you change industries I think that's you have to do that right you have to go on the trucks or you have to go to the the manufacturing sites or the factories or wherever it is that your your employer or your company you know works and learn it, but I got to do that as a baby lawyer. So that was pretty cool. So let me ask you this though, you know, you're in this energy industry. It is a male dominated industry. So what was your, and you're young too. So, <laughs> and you're Asian. So what was your experience, you know, early on kind of being like thrown into that, that world, you know, yeah. Were they, were people welcoming or did you get a mix of, you know, um, mm -hmm. mix of experiences? Um, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. Um, everyone was very welcoming. Yeah. I think some people were maybe perplexed by me <laughs> because, um, I didn't start, you know, and this was, I give so many kudos to my GC because he had me working out of um, our largest field office, not the corporate office. Um, and so I got to be around all those folks that are out there every day on the trucks. And I got to know them and, you know, see what's happening firsthand. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't ever feel kind of out of place at all. Um, and it was not in like the metropolis of Houston. It was on the outskirts of it as well. So, one, not a lot of Asians. And then you're right, it's a male-dominated industry, so not a lot of women, and not a lot of women at a certain level. You know, um, a lot of them were in administrative roles. So it was new, but it was great. I, I never felt like, you know, oh, I, I don't want to be here. And that's actually... I'm I'm happy to hear that, but I am also surprised because I I didn't expect that to be your your experience. <laughs> really? what, what were you expecting? Oh, I, I I expected more of a kind of like I I I found this like as a young attorney when you would go to 
um, inspections for, you know, fire cases or construction cases, and you're the only uh, female attorney there, I would get some like gruffness from everyone else, or I would definitely felt like much of an outsider. I was, you know, I had to kind of push my way into conversations. Otherwise I wasn't going to be part of them. Um, so I, 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 at least in my own experience, I felt like I had to push a little bit harder. Did, Robin, did you, you're nodding your head. Like you had the oh, yeah. similar experience. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and being asked if you were the court reporter at every deposition, because, you know, you couldn't be the attorney taking the deposition. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and I think, it, you know, a big part of that was, Mike, you see, setting the tone at the top and yeah. setting the tone with the leadership at that location that, hey, she's an attorney, she's on my team, you know, she's really part of the management of this location and everything else. So, um, and that's not to say I didn't run into any kind of bias or discrimination, you know, I've had, I had folks, um, men, kind of, you know, do the whole, can you go make this copy for me? Mm-hmm. And no, I, I can't because I'm, I'm here for a purpose as well. Um, so it yeah, happened a couple of times, but not enough for me to say, wow, this is really terrible. Um, I think I got more, a, a lot more respect than <laughs> maybe I had earned at that point. <laughs> Or maybe you just, you commanded the respect, you know, and, and also sounds like you had higher, you had good management at a higher level that paved a, paved good groundwork for you. Yes. I think that's so important because, you know, the, the attitude from the top down, right? If there isn't that respect at that level. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, mostly a good experience. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean it it can't all be you know rainbows and gumdrops you know? yeah. <laughs> like there always is some yeah. negative with the good <laughs> yeah and i think you know you you're if you're authentic and you meet people where they are and they understand you know like i i wasn't trying to be the pretentious young you know i'm a lawyer i'm a lawyer star jones kind of thing you know i was there as part of the team mm-hmm. and i was very know honest about not knowing anything and trying to learn and I think people appreciate that when you know they see you making an effort to learn um not just you know my role as a lawyer but just the entire business and you know treating everyone the way you want to be treated yeah so um yeah maybe that was it I don't know (laughs) so so you you know you stayed in you know the the private sector for some time, but then you eventually went out back into, or not back into, but went into private practice. So what, you know, what prompted, you know, that change? Cause I mean, in the eyes of people like, like for me and Robin who are in, you know, private practice, once you get out into the non-billable world, why would, why would you come back? <laughs> or why would you join it? <laughs> Well, yes, um, good question. I, the simple answer is it was 2009 mm-hmm. and my job was eliminated and, um, you know, I needed to make some money. And so I just put out a shingle and took whatever work that I could find. Um, and so, you know, if you see my resume, I end up back in in-house um, kind of after things started, you know, dying down a little bit, but that was rough. Um, 2009 was really rough um, trying to find jobs and I even as a lawyer with you know gosh nearly 10 years of experience and then seeing you know first year associates or kids coming out of law school and not being able to find anything that you know that was a really terrible time so that that's really the biggest reason it wasn't by choice <laughs> yeah I mean that is when I, I graduated. And I had in law school, I had different plans, uh, like plans to go. I, I think my plan was to go into real estate, um, do real estate transactions. And that was clearly not an area was that was open for business. Okay. <laughs> so, real estate, you know, practices were being disappeared out of practice yeah. at that point. 
Yeah, not not a good time to want to do that. So I had to pivot. And, and I, that is life, you know, that's what you need to do. <laughs> and here I am in litigation because of that at that time, you know, and I, I'm sure we're going to see some similar, you know, effects to that, you know, in years to come after like where we are right now and all the changes in, you know, the market. Like I think there's going to be a similar kind of shift as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what's going to happen in five, 10 years mm -hmm. after all of this. You know, something I've been looking at just today or thinking about like the great resignation and all of that, um, how it's going to shake out. Yeah. So speaking of the great resignation, <laughs> great transition, Helen. <laughs> so you were... Uh, you were at Brinks for almost 10 years. I, that's when we had you last on, on the podcast and you had been in that role and for a very long time. And, you know, what, and now you're at Integer Holdings, you know, was the great resignation, was that part of your pivot move or did something just happen more organically than that? I think it was just the perfect storm of things. Um, so like many companies, my company at the time, um, you know, we had lots of leadership changes, we had job eliminations, you know, all those terrible things that were happening, you know, right around the beginning of the pandemic and people weren't sure what was going to happen and all of this. And so what had been a very stable um, in terms of leadership um, company, my GC had been there like 39 years. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, that that changed, that leadership changed. And so that changed kind of my, where my position was on the team. Um, and, you know, I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard this story as women lawyers. Um, but while I had been on the succession plan, I was told pretty quickly after he was let go that, or he retired, that, um, that I was not going to be considered to fill that space. Mm -hmm. um, the reasons that were given to me were not acceptable to me. And so I realized there's really nowhere else for me to go here. Um, and then, um, you know, someone new was brought in. And then I thought, okay, well, you know, it could still be good because maybe under this new leader, I can learn other skills that I don't have that I've been wanting to learn, or maybe I can take on different roles in the team. And, you know, so I did have high expectations or I had hopes, you know, that it could be fine. Um, and, you know, a year and a half later, I had left because it wasn't fine and I yeah. became very miserable. So, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> just, I mean, you know, to be honest and frank about it, I, I just was very unhappy. Um, and a big part of it was the culture change on our team. Um, our, our prior GC had a um, it was a really wonderful, um, inclusive, like family um, team environment, and it was very different after that. So, um, you know, I wasn't the first to leave, actually, um, and um, I, I started looking um, while trying to make the best of it and hoping that things could get better, mm -hmm. and it just never did. So. Good for you, though, for kind of assessing the the situation and knowing, like, like, look, I need to be proactive in doing something about this rather than you know waiting my time out um, and leaving it up to chance, you know, because you certainly don't want to end up in a situation that you like you don't have any job, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah. one thing I was wondering when they replaced your um, your GC, was it an internal move or did they pull someone from outside? Well, and that was 
another part of it. They brought some in, someone in from outside. Yeah. Um, and there were two of us on the succession plan. Um, and neither of us were going to be considered. So that was kind of the beginning of big culture changes. Um, and, and to me, I can't, you know, if you think about it, like, you never know what's going to happen. You could have a terrible boss, you could have whatever. And then a year later, it could be very different because that all that changes and whatever. Um, I'm just not patient enough for that. Like you were saying, like, I, I feel like I can't wait for things to, to be presented to me or possibly presented to me. Um, I have to go out and try to make it happen. So um, that's, you know, that's what I ended up doing is I started looking and it was, it was rough. It was 18 months almost yeah. of looking and lots and lots of interviews with wonderful places and companies. It's just, but it, I always say this, it's like when you find your mate, <laughs> it's like timing and everything has to be just right. Um, and, and that's how I ended up at interview. So before we talk about your current role, I, I, I am curious about, I, I just do want to talk a little bit about the, the job seeking process, because this is something that comes up quite a, quite a bit when I talk to people at how awful the job seeking process is for that reason. Like you were, thankfully we're in a position. So you, you, you know, you weren't in a, in a position that you didn't have a job and you were just like really looking. I mean, you're still really looking, but like you already have an income stream coming in. But the from talking to people, the, the process can be so hard on you mentally because you get excited about a role and a company and a team and you have a meeting and it could be great. And you like you've already planned things out in your head and then sometimes you don't hear anything more or you know, they opt to go in another direction. So, you know, how did you manage those highs and the lows that, you know, you were experiencing during that 18 months? You know, I mentioned 2009 earlier, and um, I was doing the same kind of very desperate job search, which was, you know, in 2009, it was, you know, I need to make a living. This time it was, I need to do this for my mental and physical well-being because, you know, the stress that can't, comes from being somewhere that you don't want to be, um, it was really, really bad. Um, you know, that sent me to the emergency room and turned out I had high blood pressure and I ended up having to be on medication, which, you know, all new, you know, I yeah. hadn't hit 50 yet. And, and so I thought, this not me this is not my life but it was um and I decided I have to do this just because my my physical well-being is the most important and my mental so but going back to the job hunt thing I, you know I just think back to the 2009 and you know this recent one and the job hunt search is just as bad now as it was then um because the highs and lows are the same. I feel like now though, um, it's even harder, I think, to get your foot in the door if you don't have a connection. Mm -hmm. um, because you know you have to apply to these jobs online. Um, a lot of times, you know, they use the algorithms to kind of, you know, pick out the resumes. And if you don't have the buzzwords, then you're not even gonna get you know, a call yeah. from the recruiter or, and, and all that stuff. And so um, I, you know, I went for everything, like the ones where they just saw it on job board and I'm going to apply and, um, you know, through people that I know and networking, I tried all the things. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just, yes, it's just lows and highs all the time. And interviewing is exhausting. Yeah. And, and I just, it's, I don't, I'm trying to think like, how can we <laughs> tell companies to do it better? Right. Like, um, you know, all those tips, like don't ghost someone, you know, tell right. them that you're one of the finalists 
and we're going to be making a decision in the next two weeks. Two weeks goes by, nothing. And then three weeks goes by, and then, oh, by the way, we decided we're going to outsource that. You know, like, yeah. how, how does that happen in the course of, you know, two to four weeks? Um, I, I think they can do it better. I, and, I, you know, I'm, that's not my field. I, I know wonderful recruiters and people that are in-house recruiters and all of those things. And I know that there's a lot of restraints and constraints when it comes mm-hmm. to hiring. Because what might be totally open and available and, you know, there's a requisite for it might not be available just due to, you know, financial and budgetary concerns, it might change. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just think, you know, it's always communication. Like, if you know that this is not, you're not going to hire for this position after, you know, two or three rounds of interviews, just let people know that they're not waiting <laughs> right. you know, just let them know that hey you know I don't think we're going to hire for this at all or whatever or if you're just not it tell them right away yeah it's not going to be if it's not going to be um, a good fit so so and when you know throughout this search though did you have in mind like your ideal position yes and 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 were you know what sort of criteria did you have that you were looking for culture I was really going to try to investigate and ask those questions of everyone that I had an opportunity to speak with about that company's culture um that was primary for me just because of the situation that I was in so culture was a big one. And then the second one was, um, I'd been in that industry for 10 years. I was ready to, to learn and do something new. Um, everything is technology related now. And so that's kind of what I was looking for is someplace that's kind of doing novel things, new things. And, and, and that's why I was really interested in a lot of little startups um because they're out there and they're giving it a shot and Mm -hmm. I thought that would be exciting um you know maybe not as stable but sure as heck would be exciting and (laughs) be learning something new so um really those were my two um big things oh and then the other one was um proximity and whether it could be remote you know, if, 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 if it's not, I mean, I'm not in a position to relocate. So it had to either be remote or hybrid or I, I live close by. So those were the three important things. So an integer is, from what I understand, it's like a medical device manufacturing company, but it's also publicly held. Was Brinks publicly held or was that privately held? Yeah, it's publicly held. Okay. So yeah. that wasn't a transition for you, like, because I imagine that's a little bit different to go from a privately held to a publicly held um, company. But, you know, you're kind of expanded, like, you're making another pivot, like you have this background in energy, you know, and Brinks is definitely not an, <laughs> was not an energy company. And now you've gone to medical devices, which, you know, it, it's definitely a, a change. So what, um, you know, what appealed to you about, about it? Um, you know, the technology part really did. Yeah. Um, because the, so our, our company has three main categories of products and I support one of those three main categories and the category that I support, I I think they do a lot more of the kind of new novel things. Um, and so that was really interesting to me. And then you know, going back to culture, because um, what we make touches people's lives, you know, in a very <laughs> fundamental way that um, caring about people is part of the culture. Yeah. Um, because we care about the patients that receive our products, you know, 
they're many times implanted inside your body so it's not like this drug I mean it's like a big deal so yeah um, that's one of our core values and um, the other thing was one of our core values is candor and transparency and that was something I really was yeah I, I said that has to be at the top of the list for me um, because of what I felt like you know yeah was a, what I was going through and I wasn't getting before. In your Can I answer your question? I'm sorry. Can I answer <laughs> the question? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. You uh, answered it on We're good. I think so. Okay. <laughs> it's not uh, a deposition here, Helen. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay, uh, I would shut my mouth. So. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you. If you're in deposition, you would just say yes, right. <laughs> or no, right. or I don't recall. Um, it depends. <laughs> so one thing that you know we had talked a lot about in our our last podcast, though, was you know the the struggles that we as women and and mothers have you know, in, in both the private and public sector and just like the balance that we have. And I mean, you even touched on even in your, in your prior role, you have, have a, it was hard for you to balance things. Um, it, it is where you're at now. Are you finding a little bit more of that, that balance? I mean, we know it's never going to be perfect for any of us ever, <laughs> but are, are you finding you you've reached a little bit more of a stride with that? Um, I don't, I, I don't know if there is ever balance, right? You just manage it as it comes. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes work takes priority. Sometimes your family takes, you know, I mean, my family always takes priority, but right. you know, your focus has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if, anyone is looking for a perfect balance is that doesn't really exist um but the difference for me now is that i i feel um i that stress has been eliminated the stress of not the work because the work is the work right like sometimes your workload is really high sometimes it's less but the stress of dealing with people and personalities and, you know, whether you're appreciated or if you're, um, if someone's being honest with you or if there's something else, you know, like not, if you feel like you're in a place of trust, right? Um, That stress has been eliminated for me. And so I feel so much freer to, um, put my energies into work or home or whatever mm-hmm. that may be, because my energy isn't sucked up with, you know, being upset or depressed or managing people. Um, and we're all going to have to manage people at some point, but yeah. it's not the overriding thing. Um, so I have a lot more to, a lot more energy to give. Let's say. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, and I, I do sense like a shift with you compared to last time. Cause I think last time you, you did touch on that. You were like, you didn't relate it to your current role, so to speak, but you, you did, you had a, a, a stress about you that you, you know, it, it, it was clear that, you know, you were trying to make a point to do more separation. So you could clear your own head and be like, this is, I turn work off now. This is time, you know, for my family, and this is my dedicated time. I felt like you made a conscious effort to to implement that. I had to because if the stress I was feeling from my job was taking over everything, um, and it was daily, and so I had to try to turn that off so that it didn't, you know, affect the rest of my, it, it, it did ended up being that way. But um, I think the last time we talked, I was really trying to tiptoe around the real issue that I was having. Yeah. 
I couldn't really talk about it. No. <laughs> uh, no. And now I feel a lot more freer to talk about it. It's like if you are in a bad situation, you have to get out. Life yeah. is just too short. Please. And a job is a job, right? So um, the best decision, and luckily I was able to find something and get out, but that's just misery. And, and, and you mentioned my yellow door. Um, <laughs> last time we had the, our podcast, it was probably, you know, muted out in the back because mm-hmm. my office was just, I called it the pit of despair because I was sitting here and it was dark <laughs> and it was piled up with junk and I didn't care because that's how I felt inside. Mm-hmm. And, um, once I, you know, got this fresh start, I said, like, this, this, I can't keep up with this. Everything's coming out and we're going fresh. Um, and so I love being in my office now. I love it. Well, yeah, I, I kind of want to go sit in your office. Amazing what, you know, a little bit of paint will do, but it was really my mindset, you know that was the difference and you gotta you gotta make your surroundings like it really affects you I think it definitely does affect you and then now has it affected your health in a positive manner because we know that the other job had a negative effect on you yes I you know it 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 has because um and I don't know if you noticed like shortly after I started my new job um you know, I was, I was feeling more positive. I was feeling more like I have kind of laid down the shackles that were, you know, holding me down. And I really now have to focus on my health. And so I was getting more into my physical fitness and, you know, all that stuff. But age still catches up with you. <laughs> That we can't get away from, but at well, least, you know, we saw that you were going back on your bike and going out for bike rides. Have you been continuing to do that at the new place? I I did for the first three months and then I haven't been back on my bike in a while. So yeah, I haven't, consistency hasn't been great. <laughs> well, sometimes it can be hard to get consistent. Um, you know, it, it, so it, it takes a lot of repetitive behaviors for it to become very consistent. It is. And especially, you know, it's so easy to make the excuses like in the summertime here in Texas, I don't want to go outside and ride my bike. It's 108 degrees. Um, so that's, you know, convenient excuse. Um, but that's what I appreciate about people like my husband who are just like, that's their thing. So they will go out and ride if it's freezing cold or it's, you know, 105 days, he doesn't care. Um, I wish I had that dedication <laughs> and that would kind of keep me consistent, but not so consistent. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> I feel like there's always, there's a balance between, I, I certainly would not be out there if it's 108 degrees. In fact, I, if I wake up and I'm like, oh, it hurts to bend down. I'm like, well, we're not going to lift weights today. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to let those muscles rest till tomorrow. (laughs) I know it's hard. So tell us a a little bit more about your, your current role. You touched, you touched on it. Um, but, and you explained you're in one of three area, like three areas, but can you, can you expand on that a little bit more? So we kind of get a better understanding of what it is that Helen does. Yes. So my company is an outsourced manufacturer of medical devices. Um, And there's three primary um, categories. One is related to cardiovascular devices. And the one that I support, and it's a mouthful, so let me make sure I get it right after, I don't know, 10 months now, I'm still trying to get it right. Um, Cardiac rhythm, management and neuromodulation is the category that I support. So those are things like defibrillators, pacemakers, thing, uh, a lot of implantables. Um, and then we have another categories that's more um, 
related to batteries and niche markets. So um, kind of, you know, different things. But my role, uh, we have 10 attorneys um, and we have global operations. So the 10 attorneys support all of that. Um, so I support that category as kind of that, the de facto GC for that category. But I've recently also taken on um, litigation, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm very comfortable doing. I've done it, you know, my whole career. So I enjoy doing that. And then um, some labor and employment, mm -hmm. which um, also as a generalist, you kind of have to know some basics and have to know enough to be dangerous and <laughs> know enough to when to call the experts. Yes. Um, yeah. But um, so, yeah, I'm doing that now. And we have um, the other attorneys for the most part kind of do something similar to me. And then we have a few that are very specialized, like we have the patent attorneys and then mm -hmm. we have the corporate governance attorneys. So when I hear medical devices, and then I know it's an, uh, uh, you know, an international company, I, I just think claims and, you know, the a lot of the issues that you might might see not only having claims nationwide but also you know being faced with litigation you know across the world and the challenges that that can bring to you yeah you know i'm i'm still learning i feel like and you know i i gave a talk somewhere about a month or so ago and i and i told everyone i, I think i can still use the but i'm new excuse for just a couple more months, you know, after a year, you can't really use that. But anyway, I'm still learning about kind of the operations of it. And I think because we're an outsourced manufacturer and a lot of times, um, you know, while we do help with development, um, it's a build to print, right? Like, so it's our customer's device product, whatever it may be, and we help them manufacture it. Mm -hmm. um, so not a whole lot of, you know, knock on wood, like products liability claims, because right. we just make it the way you tell us to make it, right? Yeah. Um, and unless just the quality is bad, or we didn't make it the way you told us to make it, I think we don't really see like the yeah. recalls and the the liability issues as much so that's good for us <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you don't get brought in it just yeah. means you have an easier way to get out <laughs> yes, that is correct that is correct we do they do try to bring us in all kinds of you know situations and litigation matters they try to bring us in somehow but um it is easier I'm I'm sure though you also have a lot of issues that arise out of contracts because if you're manufacturing these products, um, mm -hmm. you know, and there's intellectual property associated with them, and there's contracts associated with them. Like, are are you tend to be like I don't know how else to say, it, but like the overseer. Uh, <laughs> to ensure that you're complying with with you know the contracts and the the intellectual property issues as, as your your company is you know manufacturing or you know not manufacturing the product but yeah manufacturing the products but they're not it sounds like you're manufacturing the products that are de designed by somebody else but then there's a, probably a lot of compliance issues with that yes there are and we have a whole compliance team that i'm not responsible for <laughs> that manages all of that um and that's another thing I'm still learning um, because there's you know FDA issues and there's compliance issues around the world and you know patent issues um, you know, in the U.S. and other places. Um, that is a whole thing. That's a big thing. That at this point I'm luckily have not been able you know have needed to dive into because there's other experts that deal with it um, and not me. So, yeah. So what do you find is one of the bigger challenges that you see on the on the day to day? You know, I think 
like many manufacturers, the issues we're facing right now, and it's just a macro, like global macro economic issue is supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's affecting everyone. Like it's affecting everyone up and down, like our customers and their customers and then our suppliers. So it's, it's just hard all the way around. Um, and, you know, once one kind of gets better, the other one goes, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. So it's like whack-a-mole a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one part of it eases up and the other one gets worse. You know, it's just, it is what it is right now. There's not a whole lot of control um, for anybody, I don't think. Because, you know, you try to kind of send that down the chain and it doesn't really matter because everybody's dealing with it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's doing the best to manage it, but it seems like past, what, three years, it's one thing after another. Yeah. If it's not COVID, it's a war or (laughs) other things. So, world that's life yeah now it's like eggs that cost like forty dollars for like two dozen or something ridiculous or something i was just talking to my husband today about that because we have we have chickens we have chickens in the backyard we have like eight chickens and so when they're laying and right now they're not laying because it's winter and apparently that's what triggers them to lay so like in the summertime there's we have like so we have so many eggs right now we have no eggs from those girls and they're just basically freeloading <laughs> uh, last time we went to Costco and we got like it was just 18 eggs and I, I forget what the cost was but we were like astounded at how much it's gone up it's doubled in price and I said can you just make those girls start laying now yes and apparently there's a way you can like you can put lights in their you know the coops and stuff to kind of get their body clocks going but it's crazy I, I think you might need to start doing that like it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> help your bottom line you know because we were talking about it recently she was actually our 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 managing partner Trisha she also has chickens and around Christmas time I was going out to get you know I needed eggs or something and my husband was like can you ask your boss she's got it <laughs> she, and she lives down the street I was like you're right I should, uh, but I didn't know that in the winter, you know, chickens, you know, don't lay eggs or very, very few. Yeah, we would always have a surplus and we'd be giving them away. Um, and now it's like we have to get store-bought eggs, which I hate. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and we have a whole flock of quail as well. So we have quail eggs, but they're not really laying right now either. What, what, else, what else do you got on that homestead of yours? <laughs> as far as animals, that's it. <laughs> so this is off topic though. Like, so what, what inspired you to go? I mean, chickens are pretty, pretty common, but quail, what, you know, what inspired you to get quail? This is all my husband. I uh, <laughs> I have nothing to do with it at all, but he kind of likes to have this, you know, we're nothing like a home, so honestly, we're in a suburb, but um, we have a little bit of a big yard in the back, so, um, you know, he's looking for something that was easy to maintain, that, like, if he could, he would have a whole farm back there, like goats and rabbits and all this stuff, and I said, I no, I, we're not doing rabbits. Um, but he wanted to have something that we could have for meat as well as eggs. So that this is his thing is we're going to do quail. And, and then I, I don't really want to have anything to do with dispatching a quail to eat the quail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a... I, I'll eat the eggs, but that's about it. I, I'm not... That's not my thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, quail also have eggs and they're quite large. They are. <laughs> you can make quite the omelet with a quail egg. 
aspects to it I guess I mean he's very into that stuff um I don't know what was this um spark during the pandemic and I ask because during my husband was so inspired as well during the pandemic that you know in addition to buying like 50 pounds of flour he also had this thing that he wanted to start composting and he went out and bought like 4,000 worms (laughs) and we had this whole like warm compost bin outside but then it eventually becomes my responsibility like he's like oh we need to feed the worms like we like (laughs) i don't want to open the thing and look at them like i I don't want to feed the worms like i don't i want no part of it yeah we have a big (laughs) compost pile and i have nothing to do with any of that um but no it started way before the pandemic we've had chickens for many many years and you know we grow vegetables and herbs and all of that um i don't know not sure where it comes from maybe it's like a a prepper thing maybe not i don't know does your son go out and help him though? Because I do think that's a good thing for the kids to like do and know how to do and show interest in. Oh, for sure. He, you know, he has to go out and get the eggs every day in the summer. Um, and he gives them all the table scraps. Chickens will eat everything and anything. So we don't have a whole lot of, either it goes in the compost bin pile or it goes to the chickens. So um, you know, that's his job to go and do all of that. Wow. <laughs> and my family, they've always had green thumb. Um, my sister has this huge vegetable garden in her backyard. And, um, she works for a nursery company um, here down in Texas. So she gets all the, the discounts and everything. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't have a green thumb at all. Me neither. <laughs> I can't even but I, keep a house plant. Although my family does make fun of me there because we have this bird feeder out back and it was out of food for a while. I added food in it like last week. And the I think it was Sunday morning. I just sat in our kitchen, like watching all the birds and commenting about them. And then I also <laughs> added this other thing for the squirrels, hoping the squirrels wouldn't try to go in the feeder. I have this other thing with corn for the squirrels. And I was just watching and commenting on it and my husband's like hey girls mommy's turning into an old crazy lady (laughs) talking about the birds and the squirrels in the backyard and what they're doing (laughs) but it is quite amazing like as soon as they those birds figure out that there's a feeder there it's like they they communicate to all the birds and they they all come yes Yes, they do we have feeders we've always had feeders so we get all kinds of really pretty birds great um and why not they live in this we live in town so it's not like we get a whole lot of nature so it's good and it's good for you know the kid to have to go do stuff yes it's always good to make the kids go do stuff (laughs) i i I don't remember the last time i saw the chickens because i don't go out there i just i don't go out there (laughs) that's their job not my job yeah I, I agree like last year my husband's like we need to get more worms I'm like we don't need to get more worms <laughs> if you would like to go get more worms have at it but I am not I'm not dealing with those worms anymore well I'll tell you I'm just happy that my husband decided against the bees oh he wants to do bees yes <laughs> he just really wants to live on a ranch I think that's what it comes down to is <laughs> He wants to leave the city and live on a ranch somewhere. I think he just want really wants a beekeeper costume. That's it. <laughs> he, wants he wants to have a goat. Um, okay. Well, aren't, aren't there? Isn't that the thing about the goats that you don't need a lawnmower, and the right. goats will just eat your lawn? But they'll eat everything too. And, you know, we like to try to grow vegetables and it'll eat everything. I, I, I just can't get it. I can't go beyond chickens is my thing. <laughs> I, 
about it. That's my level. Well, I, I think I want an update in a few months to see what what new animal ideas he, he may have. <laughs> because I don't think this is the end game for you. I, I think there's there's gonna be more in, in your future. Yeah, he, he's given up on rabbits for now, so we'll see. Mm. Well, my, my kids have not given up on rabbits. They keep asking oh. for rabbits. Wait, I haven't budged because again, we have like we have fish, and I'm the only one who cleans the stupid fish tank. So who do you think's gonna be <laughs> cleaning oh, the rabbit? No. <laughs> yeah. I can't think it's hard. To, like my son likes to name the chickens and the quail, and like how are you gonna eat that right that well, animal that you just named? And even gonna if it's worse with like a bunny rabbit, I, I can't. I yeah, this is my husband's sense of humor. He'll serve rabbit at Easter. <laughs> and next year, here's Cottontail. We've had Cottontail for two years. <laughs> Easter brunch. <laughs> Cottontail with orange sauce. <laughs> um, anyway, let's see, we've totally digressed. Um, but we are just about out, out of time. But I, you know, I, I always, I always ask this of everyone who comes on, but, you know, given, you know, where, what, you know, where you are now and taking yourself back to where, where we were last time we talked about a year ago, you know, is there any advice you'd give year ago, Helen, <laughs> on, you know, when, you know, approaching your, you know, this job search with this highs and lows and, you know, everything that you were going through, any advice that you would, you would have given yourself? Really find a way, no matter how hard it is, to manage your stress. Mm -hmm. Because um, especially when uh, you hit 50 or over or even in your late 40s, your health just, it, you know, you think you're invisible up until then, invisible, mm -hmm. invincible until then. Um, and then you realize, no, you know, my age is, get, I'm getting older and I can't handle physically the stress that I could when I was younger. Um, and so whatever it may be, whether it's more exercise or, be, you know, whatever it is, um, you have to find a way to manage the stress because I let it consume me. Mm -hmm. I was kind of wallowing in it for a while. Um, and that doesn't, I mean, it's hard. You know, it's kind of like being in depression. You can't just snap out of it. Um, but that would be my greatest advice to myself is you have to find some way to manage the stress um and it's just a, a mental thing like you have to turn that off because you know what happens with a lot of women you start over analyzing and thinking about it and and just you know staying up at night and just don't think about it you have to kind of leave it alone because it might take you three months to find that new job it might take you 18 months I you know never thought it would take that long um, yeah. because I had opportunities in interviews along the way and I thought surely one of these and even if this wasn't this isn't the one that I'm going to marry at least it'll let me leave yeah um, but it just wasn't and I think like with everything it happens for a reason and you know I waited and timing was right for this job and you know I love my team. I love my boss. So it's great. Um, but I also think that's key too, though, is, you know, even if you're looking for a change, you don't necessarily just want to take the first opportunity to change if it's not the right one. And it's, you're just going to end up in the same similar scenario again and looking again, you know, yeah. I afford yourself some opportunity to be a little bit picky. I felt that way. I felt like, you know, I'm still employed, no matter how unhappy I am, like you're saying, it's a different kind of stress. Um, and I, I do have time to be picky. Um, but as the time went on, I just started getting more and more desperate. Like, I just, yeah. if it's halfway, something that I would want to do, I will go and, and check it out. Just because I have to leave a place that's not good for me, not good for my mental health. So, um, but 
it worked out the way it's supposed to work out and I got it all. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a happy ending, really happy ending. Well, and I, I'm so happy to hear that and I, I truly hope it, it continues on on that, you know, that trajectory on the on the way up and that it's a, a landing spot for you to, you know, see out the rest of your, your career. Well, next time I, I maybe can invite some other folks because I'm interested in talking about and learning um, other people's perspectives on this whole quiet quitting thing. I don't know if you've done that yet. We have not talked about quiet quitting. Yeah. And the quiet hiring. I mean, it's, what is that? Is that a real thing? Yeah, I, I'm interested to find out, but I, I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. How do you quiet quit? Do you just stop doing your job? I don't know. Like you stop doing it. the extras. You know, you quiet yeah. quit by just doing what's required of you and you quit doing, you know, instead of billing 10 hours a day, you only bill the eight hours that you have to bill and walk away. And it's that kind of mentality that they're talking about. But yeah, there's a lot of talk about that. And I, and I think to myself quite frequently, I'm like, what does that even mean? And if I'm doing what's required of me, why is that quitting? Because I'm not, you know, maybe this is the job that I'm happy with right now where I am and I'm trying to do this job the best I can, but it, is it if you're not trying to get to that next level, if you're not trying to, you know, get to the next promotion, does that mean you're quiet quitting? Because there's... Yeah plenty of people that have been in their same job for 20 25 years and they're happy well yeah and, and yeah. they do it well why is that quitting i i don't really get it yeah to me it sounds like more like setting boundaries yeah so and, and I, everybody's career has ebbs and flows right? right sometimes you have something that's new and interesting and you're really all in it sometimes it's just always kind of the same old mundane stuff it's not always going to be like, I, I would hope you're not always chasing a carrot. I, yeah. That doesn't sound healthy to me. No. But it's how we're taught, right? And that's all law yeah. school is. It's, you know, chase that carrot. The next step's partnership. The next step, you know, equity, yeah. you know, yeah. And then after that, what? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear, especially from women, how they feel about that. I think women have a, a different perspective on this quiet quitting thing. Well, that I'm going to take your advice. I already have an idea. So, okay. all right. So stay tuned, everyone Yay. listening in. I have I have an idea. I have a, a, a additional guest to bring on for that. Are already in the back of my mind. So, thanks. Well, Helen, it's always a pleasure talking to you, whether, whether or not we're talking about um, work or chickens or, you know, quiet quitting. <laughs> I appreciate every, everything that we, we can chat about. Um, and thanks so much for, for joining us again. Um, and I hope to have you on again soon now that you gave me um, a new idea. I'm always love. I love when guests give me ideas. <laughs> I always have a great time. Thanks so much, Megan. I, I love joining and um I look forward to hearing what you're you're gonna do next. Well, awesome. And for everyone who's listening, you know, if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to the Defense Never Rest on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at TDNR at YouTube. Thank you.